welcome to the Spiritual Intelligence Podcast, Awakening Your Inner Power with Daniel Martinez Stahl, where we will explore, discover, and integrate different aspects of our spiritual and human nature so that we can all thrive and live life with more grace and ease instead of struggle. Welcome to the Spiritual Intelligence Podcast once again. Today I am with Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald is a friend of mine, also from the Three Principles community. However, he has been exploring and expanding his own journey through energetic healing, which is the reason that I was really interested in bringing him on board uh, to these conversations because we've been having a lot of conversations around the three principles or three principles based, and I am going to be including other members as well that are not three principles based. Michael is one of those people that plays in both camps. So I wanted to have that conversation with him and get his thoughts on how they relate and how they support each other and also how they contradict each other. Because in my own experience in playing in the spiritual world and playing in the world of three principles, there's some areas where some people might believe that there's conflicts. And I see them as, co as collaborative or supporting each other as opposed to conflicting, but there could be that perception. So that is the reason that I wanted to bring Michael McDonald into the conversation uh, this early on in the podcast but I will let him introduce himself. So Michael, if you can talk a little bit about you, then we can go from there. <laughs> so rare that I'm actually talking about myself. Um, so Michael McDonald, I'm a transformational coach, been coaching professionally for maybe 10 years, have done a wide variety of transformational work. I was actually originally a software developer so I came originally from a world of being very left-brained, very methodical, organized, detail-oriented, able to figure it out and having to uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And as a human, gradually realizing that I was unsatisfied with my life and then really dove into more and more personal development so much that I started to love supporting other people. It became a coach along the way. And now I've, I, like, I continue to explore different branches of work. So I've been in three principles for maybe six years. I've been in an energy healing training for about the same amount of time, like in parallel with three principles. I did like Byron Katie's school for the work lots of ontological coaching, lots of like, business coaching, action coaching, focus on habits, like everything from the practical to the past life to the just recognizing being present in the moment and the magic of what's possible there. I'm always fascinated to see like, which direction I'll go in any given moment when I'm working with someone. Oh, that's great. That's great. So as a starting question, what would you say to the idea that we have inner power? What does that mean to you? Inner power. I don't use the word power much. Um, Yes, yeah, so if I heard that, I would go like, hmm? what do you mean by power? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll leap to something sort of tangential, which feels important and inner. <laughs> <laughs> Within your integrity, please. <laughs> um, I, I'm a really huge fan of uh wisdom uh inner wisdom inner genius inner guidance inner knowing that sense of like there's something 
to use the word powerful, there's something even more powerful than me trying to figure something out using my computer programmer developed brain in order to try to anticipate what's going to happen and create a plan or make sure that something is going to work or figure out what's the right way to do something. There's something more powerful. It's kind of inside that I can, when I let go of trying to figure something out, that starts to come to the fore more. Uh, like when I stop trying to figure things out, I know what to do. The more that I try to figure something out, the more stressed out I get, the more effort I put into it, and the less creative I become. And yeah, especially for the most important things in my life, like I tend to overthink them until I stop overthinking them. And then I know what to do. And cool things start happening when I follow this inner wisdom. So especially through uh, three principles and to a degree through the uh, energetic work as well, they both point in this direction that there's, if you get you out of the way, if you get like the, the thinking out of the way, the personal thinking, there's an intelligence there that you can follow. And I've been reaping the rewards of doing that more and more in my life, especially over the last couple of years. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's what you meant by inner power, but it's an intentionally open question, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wrong, Michael. That's wrong. That's oh, not what damn. I meant at all. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, let me try it again. Maybe we can figure out the right answer. <laughs> What I wanted to say that I thought of as you were describing that is the, anyway, I lost it. It'll come back to me. The idea that we have about where our experience comes from tends to have an influence with how we experience life. And as you were speaking, and I forget the phrase that you said, but you said something that made me think about how when I, and I use the terms, my human experience versus my spiritual experience. And when I am caught up in my human experience and my thoughts, the content of my thinking, the experience that I'm feeling, it's harder for me to allow and to recognize that there's more to life than what I'm perceiving. Mm -hmm. So the idea of waking up to the fact that there's more to my life than that external experience that I'm living in the moment, that I'm believing to be real in the moment, opens me up and aligns me more with the energy of life, with my higher self, with however you want to speak about it. Hmm. And, um, and that's what I thought about when you, as you, as you were finishing off your description. Yeah. One of my favorite metaphors that I pretty much end up using with all my clients is, uh, the ladder of consciousness. Um, I sort of have adapted this from Steve Chandler, who adapted it from Colin Wilson. Um, I think there's some other teachers and everyone seems to have some similar thing for like, here are the levels of consciousness. Um, but one way I think of it is at lower levels of consciousness and it's like the more caught up in our personal habitual thinking the more caught up in our like very fixed thing, like ideas about who we are and the ways that the world is and what's right and what's wrong. Like that's the stuff that weighs us down and brings us further down the ladder. And we can recognize the experience of like further down the ladder. It's, it's more dramatic. 
It's more like Shakespearean drama. It's dark. It's serious. It's urgent. And it's you versus the world. Like you are absolutely right. And your perspective is absolutely right. And that is wrong. So there's like even more protective. And when you're most intent on fixing something and oh my god this needs to be changed right now and i have to do this is when we are least creative and have the least perspective and we're most likely to regret taking any sort of action from that place so and the most best people... place the best place to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like a, a lot of my work has been um, compassion and reflection, recognition of what it's like when you're caught up, like what it's like when you're down the ladder. People higher up the ladder don't really need as much help. But I have a lot of compassion because when someone's there, like whatever level of the ladder that you're at, feels completely true like the experience is real wherever you're at if you have a, a fight in your relationship and you're thinking oh my god it's over this is unresolvable this is it acknowledging that the experience of that is so vivid and the the chemicals are running through the body and the tension and you're suddenly conveniently remembering all of the uh, stories and memories and views that support this particular dark view. And there's a lot of, uh, you get more righteous when you're further down the ladder, like you're very right. And there's this like strong urge to fight and to fix further down the ladder. So compassion for like, yes, the experience is real, but the more that you have experience of actually watching yourself at different levels of the ladder, because we naturally bounce back and forth. Um, it's really, really helpful to remember that when you're down there, yes, the experience is real, but it's not a true reflection of the world. It's not wisdom talking to you. It's when you're just really caught up in the horror movie playing on repeat in your head. So before we go any further, can you go over what you share with your clients about the ladder? Because you referenced it, but you didn't really share what you say. And one way to describe the ladder, and I, like some, it varies, but some of the spiel I've already given, like, at each level of the ladder, and I don't really have like specific names, it's not a specific sequence, but at each level, like that's what seems true. Like what you believe creates your reality at that level of the ladder. Towards the bottom, it's like just victim psychology. Like the, the world is against me, the world is pushing me down. Um, a little bit further up, maybe you can push back, maybe you can strive to get a little bit better, but it's like life is a struggle. Uh, maybe somewhere in the middle, it's more just um, problems to be solved. Like, okay, there's this, so I'm going to go fix this. I think it's a little bit more like rational, just fixing things. Uh, above that, there's life is a, a, a challenge. Life is a, a learning opportunity. Like every single thing is an opportunity to grow. But there's these like higher and higher perspectives where you're, you're actually seeing more. You're taking more into account. You're holding onto your thinking less tightly. So you also take in more perspectives. There's more openness to new ideas, new thought, creativity. Towards the top is where things just sort of miraculously, magically happen. You kind of just want something and you just sort of start playing in that direction. Sometimes you work hard, sometimes you don't. 
And it's like you get really lucky and there's lots of synchronicities higher up on the ladder. And one of the qualities of the ladder is it's fairly easy to look down the ladder. Like if you're really triggered an hour ago, you can look back. It's like, yep, I was just really in a state. <laughs> sorry, sorry for any damage. <laughs> um, yeah, like that just wasn't good. But it's difficult to look up the ladder, which includes when you're triggered, even includes like wherever you're at as sort of a norm in your life. It's hard to conceive of what the next higher level of consciousness might be like. One of the things I like about using this as a metaphor is both the, the compassion that it gives people, like they recognize that they're caught up, like often with clients who usually have a lot of thinking, um, they at least, this at least helps them become less reactive. If they get really angry, if they get really afraid, they at least have the wisdom when they're down the ladder to not act on their feelings, to not believe what they're thinking, to hold their thinking a little bit more lightly, even though they're in a very vivid experience. And it helps them, like knowing that there's a ladder, they can start to get curious about what might be higher up. Like just the idea that it's like, wherever you're at, there's more above you as well. And that curiosity actually has people looking in a bit more like pattern recognition of what it's like to be identifying with your thinking, what it's like to be holding a certain view of reality as if that's it. There's more what if, and there's more not knowing, mm. and there's more uh, surrender and like that good feeling as you go up the ladder. Yeah. And I find that it also gives people a reminder when they, like you were saying, when they get caught up, the fact that they know that there's a ladder, mm. they get prompted as a reminder, hey, you're you're on the ladder <laughs> <laughs> yeah like where are you on the ladder right now just, it's like you know, oh you're yeah you're on the ladder <laughs> you're on the ladder um what uh if you can um can you share a little bit about your energy work your energy healing work and it's been fascinating because i recognized in terms of energy healing work, um, I'm a really strong like intuitive for what to do, but I don't have a lot of tracking. Like I've got a lot of friends who are like, there's this happening in your body right now and it's coming from this past life and this pattern and this pattern because these things happened and this is how it's playing out. And like, as they call it, it starts moving. It's like, oh my God, like I didn't even know it was there. And then you see it. Um, I, I, in a way, like I went into the energy healing work because I wanted even more superpowers. Like what are additional <laughs> ways that I could be helping people? And like, I had done stuff where sometimes just like laying my hand on someone or just like intuitively placing some pressure or the energetic quality of how I'm being, how I'm holding space for someone. And having the experience of, I could do like tiny little shifts in my intention. Like I could bring a little bit more heart into an interaction where I don't even know what that means, but someone across from me would be like, oh my God, that that's like everything just changed. Hmm. So I became really curious about that. I became really curious about, um, subtle energy, this whole territory where we can't see clearly, it's not distinct, it's not even, it's not easily defined. And there's a lot of power 
like it's it's territory where like all sorts of things are happening all things all sorts of things are possible like long distance healing spontaneous healing um some people just seem to be like so much more energetically resilient and other people tend to just be energetically disturbed by anything and everything and it's things that are and, and i'm kind of like wondering whether i would classify this as a subset of psychology or something separate than psychology because like it, it's still form it's still uh the, the content of experience uh like thought as we would talk about it so I've explored that work in parallel with three principles and it's been fascinating because they both pointed each other and, and there's certain aspects where they agree. Um, and sometimes like one side actually feels more like an embodied version of it than the other side. And there's also things where they'll point towards the other side, some of the conclusions and practices over there and say, just don't do that thing. That's bad. Uh, like in three principles, I hear a lot, don't go in, into the past. Like don't go digging up stuff because you'll just create it more in their experience. And then in the energetic healing, there's still a lot of um, influence from early psychology where like make sure you go into the past. Make sure you go up and go in and dig up and experience all that stuff in order to heal. Yeah, there's that's like the biggest that, conflict between the two. <laughs> there's something that I'd like to add to this because that's part of where <clears throat> that's part of my own development and my own journey has given me insights around some of that. So, and I'd be curious to see if you agree with my theories, because these are just my theories. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I started exploring in my early years of looking in the direction of the principles was the models that we use inside our unconscious to create our responses to things. And they're thought-based, but we... It's just the way, that, again, the way that we interact with life, we create references so that when we see something, we respond a certain way because of our patterns, because of our beliefs, because of a number of different things. So we have all of these models that we create that then result in unconscious responses to things, which drives a lot of how we respond to things without our awareness, where we just respond to somebody saying something we go into a state of insecurity because it reminded us to something that our father told us or um, our girlfriend says something that all of a sudden we feel unheard and unimportant or whatever because it again it references something in our past so i do agree and recognize and believe that there's a lot of truth in what's discussed in the principles about not going into our memories and our past so the idea of healing my inner child and all of that stuff just i just don't see the value of that anymore however i also see that within these we have we have thoughts that come to us that are out of our control. We've always said that and recognized that in the three principles community. That is a part of our experience that we have thoughts that come to us that are out of our control. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to that talk about their patterns is all I can do is wait until I see it more clearly. And until then it's just my pattern. Well, if my pattern happens to give me mental distress, why wouldn't I want to do something to help alleviate the frequency or the intensity of that pattern so that it stops affecting me? I stop getting as many of those patterns prompted. And yes, I recognize that if I understood the principles deep enough and I understood that thought is everything deep enough, 
that none of this would matter. But the reality is that I don't. <laughs> the reality <laughs> is I don't see it as clearly as Sydney Banks did. So I am going to be affected by things that trigger aspects in my life. And what I found is, especially with my work with past life regression, what we end up doing is we have patterns from our past and you can go as far back as different lifetimes if you want, or just even within our childhood, but we have patterns in our past that have created a reference point that we have either forgotten the details of the source of that experience, or we have, or we are unfamiliar with the details of the source of that experience. And so we're creating inferences and associations based on that faulty information. And as a result of that, we end up, God, I'm complicating the shit out of this. <laughs> it seems so simple in my mind. I've never actually tried to describe this. <laughs> so that's I why apologize. Sid, that's why Sid Banks says, like, don't listen to the words. <laughs> God, it's so complicated. Anyway, I'll try and I'll try and simplify. So there's actually a case study that I'm working on, which I'll include in the description of this episode that talks to this, where there was a person that I worked with that had a, a previous life experience where she felt abandoned and rejected by her family. When she went back to revisit that experience, which led to her death, she started recognizing and her spirit guides also highlighted specifically that she sacrificed herself so that her family could survive. She, she's the one that chose to be left behind so that her family could escape the threat and the situation that was occurring. And because she forgot that in her future lives, she only remembered the abandonment and the resentment and the fear that she felt what she was bringing into her relationships with her parents and her siblings was this influence of resentment and fear. Hmm. And as soon as she got exposed and remembered the full story of the fact that she chose that past life to, as, a as a sacrifice out of love, all of a sudden her issues with her current family disappeared the tension, the emotional strain, the energy that she was approaching her current relationships instantly disappeared. Mm -hmm. So there's an element where going into the past in order to understand the full story and remember the full story seems to have a healing aspect so that the models that we create in our current life are less muddy are less cumbersome, are less emotionally um, dysfunctional, for lack of a better way of saying it. So, God, that's, I apologize for the complexity. I hope it made some sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was able to follow it to a degree because I, I, I recognize it. In, and it's like one of the signs of, yeah, I start to trust things less as they get more complicated now. Which is like that sounds like a lot of thinking or a lot of explaining. But I also like there's a lot of profound transformation, a lot of profound healing that happens um, through that work, through that approach. And like, that's the inquiry that I've been in, like bouncing mm -hmm. between these worlds. Cause I could recognize and I've experienced and I've seen and I've done where people are profoundly transformed by going into the past. Um, and by like, as if something was there to be released. One of the ways that I've been able to resolve this is recognizing that whatever was there, like whatever energy has not been moving 
energy that's been thingified into habits or trauma or patterns of psychology. Um, that's it's made of thought. So we're still playing with the the Plato within the three principles world. It's it's still all thought. Um, and yeah, there's like both like the gift and the risk. One of the things I've recognized through by looking at different healing modalities is something in common, independent of whether they go into the past or not, independent of how they work. There is some point where there, there's an inflection point. There's those uh, discrete moments where something shifts within someone where like that's the point where they start crying or they relax or they like laugh or they just have this like awestruck oh my god i i never saw it that way before like totally different experiences at different times uh, from using different modalities but there is a shift that's happening when um when quote unquote healing is happening i started becoming more and more interested in that like what's that independent of how you got there and independent of what happens after that. Mm. And two of the traps that I've seen in healing modalities where there's really a focus on how to do healing, having a proper, having prescriptions, like how to heal, how to heal better. The two traps that I've seen as a one is what did they do in order to get to that point? For example, like going into the past or this or this or this, um, or like tapping or whatever. Um, and the other trap that I've seen is healing modalities that get, that get fixated on what it looks like just after that shift happens. Uh, I think there's like a lot of stuff in like the late seventies or so where they're really big on catharsis. Like if someone was uh, laughing, crying, shaking, it's like more of that, more of that, like whatever has like more of that energy moving, like that's healing. Um, I saw some unhealthy versions of that where people just took that to an extreme where they didn't, they had no recognition of whether it was healing or hurting. If someone was emotionally expressing, they just considered that to be good and it became sort of a power trip. There's sort of like some dark aspects in like some of the dark corners of transformational worlds started taking on that overly simplistic view of more catharsis means good. And the trap of, especially going into the past, the more people focus on the story in the past or where something came from or like the why or what it, what it was, what it means, how long it's been around, it turns it into more and more of a thing. It turns like it turns it more and more into a, like it makes it a stronger habit rather than releasing it. It's you start to identify with it and give it more attention, more power. Like suddenly, something that was just kind of a, a vaguely uncomfortable memory that you didn't weren't quite aware of people who do healing work a bit too much past oriented healing work is like, well, let me find out what that is. And they'll go into it. And then so all of a sudden they'll spend a couple of weeks in terrible drama and health issues for something that wasn't really an issue. Like the, the power to create additional drama and pain in the name of healing I think that's the dark side of going too much into the past. But that inflection point, I think of it as when someone makes contact with truth. Like that's when healing happens. And it happens naturally unless you try to get in the way and think that there's a certain way for it to look. Because that's what I noticed between all the different modalities. 
like if someone had a past trauma, like a lot of the work is actually to get them to realize it's not happening right now. They, they get more in contact with the truth, like more of their body, more of their awareness gets in contact with they are safe right now. Like, yes, they are having this thinking, this imagination, this memory, this experience, all this stuff is happening in the body as a result of that. And in this moment, they're safe, they're held and nothing's going on, like nothing's actually hurting them the way that that experience is communicating. And you get to hold both of those, uh, you get more in contact with reality. And that's when things start releasing like, oh, that's not real. Oh, I'm okay. And sometimes there's a big energy release. Um, my favorite healing reaction, honestly, is just the like sigh and relax. Like, ah, whew, wow. Yeah. It's like I've been carrying around a house and I got to just put it down. Yeah. 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 So that's what I think of when I think of healing now is that yeah. contact with truth. I like that. There's a lot of questions that I get in my own mind about all of the different modalities, especially because one of the things that, and I'll speak for myself, though it's also common within the three principles community, but one of the things that I have believed and still do to some degree is because the three principles are pointing to a fundamental truth of our experience that influences and affects every experience that we have, there's a totality within that, that I also find limits me when I come across other approaches and other ideas. So I'll use the reference of the inner child once again. Because I understand how the mind works now, and I understand where my experience comes from, and I understand the value and strength and power of being present in the moment, that my healing is a recognition of my innate well-being. What happened to me as a kid is irrelevant, you know? my father beat beat me up when I was seven in the back of a car that was horrendous. So what? And this is something that my mother and I have had conversations about where she's still like, Oh my God, that was horrible. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So it happened. So what? No big deal. You know, it's how I am living my life and how I'm responding to my experience of life is what matters. What happened to me in my childhood doesn't matter. So there's, there's that aspect of it. Of course, it influenced me and, you know, it led me to different ideas and beliefs and blah, blah, blah. But when I understand the bigger picture of things, all of a sudden, I recognize the innocence of my father in his actions. I understand the innocence in my interpretation and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it snowballs out into an understanding of forgiveness and acceptance and understanding. Mm. So when I hear people talk about, oh, you need to do, you know, inner child work, I, I like roll my <laughs> eyes and go, no, you don't, you don't. And so I've been really questioning, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. I've been really questioning this limited view of, no, inner child work is a waste of time because it's so black and white that it's making me question and saying, is it really? I recognize that the idea of having to do inner child work is playing off of an old psychology, which is limited by its misunderstanding of where life comes from and how experience comes from. And I recognize that, but there's still a lot of people that have moments of healing when they do child work. Yeah. Like so it's that kind of balance of you're going, you're looking in the wrong direction. 
hell, if it helps you, then go for it. You know, it's like, yeah, I think part of the crux of this conversation is, I mean, we're comparing something with, we're comparing like one thing, which is amazing and powerful with something, which I think is even more powerful. Like it, it's not even right and wrong. Like these are both really, really good options. Yeah. I, it's I just that. <laughs> I, I can't get past that. Yeah. But this one's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I so I get past that. You know, it's, so it's been really fascinating because a lot of my, my friends in the spiritual community, you know, they, they work on practices. They, they have their me their meditation practice. They have their affirmation practice. They have their X Y Z practice, and all I, and all I think about is, wow, you know, all those practices are taking you away from your true self. Mm -hmm. They're innocently creating more thought content to separate you from your essence of well-being. Mm -hmm. And so it's just hard because I have this idea and, but at the same time, I'm, I'm saying to myself, what you think is true isn't, you don't know, I don't know. And, you know, and, and Sydney Banks and other, and other mystics have always said that there is no one truth. There is no one way that's right. And Sydney would talk about how the description that he gives of the experience of life is a undeniable truth. And I would agree with that. There are facts that we cannot deny. We need to have life force in order to exist. We need to have awareness in order to recognize. We need to have thought in order to interpret. We cannot function or have any experience without any one of those three fact. Mm -hmm. So there's this essence of truth that I think is undeniable, but I'm also opening up myself to being less black and white about other approaches. I still think that a lot of them are innocently misguided and are not as powerful as they could be if they were pointing in the right direction. But there's, that's where they are. That's where the individual is. That's what they're recognizing within their own truth. And if doing inner child work is what makes them live a better life, then absolutely go for it. It's just not what I would do given what I have learned, but hmm. you know. Is all. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of different direction I want to go like all at the same time right now. <laughs> all right, go. <laughs> Get started. Um one of the little things that jumped out is just like you could totally deny the truth. Yeah. Like you you totally have the free will to not see the truth. Yes. Like that's part of just like the uh, amazingness of this experience. Um which happens all the time, I might <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, it kind of defines us. The, the amount of people that I speak to that I share the understanding of where our experience comes from and they go, no, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, how can you, how, I just, I don't get it, but yeah, that's and their choice. I noticed that my own approach to, it is split between when I'm learning and studying and trying to figure out like, like updating my mental models versus when I'm actually working with someone and a healing or coaching capacity one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and especially over the last couple of years. And I think it just has subsided over the last couple of months. I think I hit a, like an inflection point a little while ago, but before that, I was very much trying to find the right way. It's like, is it this or is it this? Should I go into the past or shouldn't I? Um, I, I? I've been influenced by a lot of internal family systems within the energy healing that I do. 
Um, so I was using that a lot in my uh, coaching and my healing and I'm like wondering, should I not do that? Should I like refuse to do that? Um, so there's a lot of figuring it out, trying to find the right way and trying to resolve the language and the judgments going back and forth between the camps. Now, fortunately, when I actually worked with people, I, I didn't go into that mode. I wasn't like, should I do this or not? I, I would just do whatever came to mind. So in a way, like I was breaking all the rules of both camps, like both camps would be completely unhappy with what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going back into the past, talking about like child parts and like bringing in the, the parent and like resolving. And I was <laughs> telling people like while they were like deep in a like past life that it's just their thinking I was just like <laughs> violating the rules on both sides. Like, cause it's whatever it's what occurred to me yeah. to help them. Yeah, exactly. One of the, the patterns, I think like one of the things that I've enjoyed and like some of the extra capacity that I've gained by stu studying so many different things. Um, I get to use whatever methodologies like seem to work to help me meet them where they're at. So sometimes that's time management. Sometimes that's child parts. Sometimes that's the nature of the human experience. And having a variety of modalities helps me like make contact. And I do notice that some of the most like some of the most powerful healing sessions that I've given, I'll go in and do like energetic work. And sometimes we might go into the, like, as, as if it's the past, but when they have the, the healing moment and they come up and they're not identified with parts, they're not identified with thinking they're present, then is a really good time to point out, okay, what you're experiencing now this is you like, like they can actually, they have the altitude to see what they were caught in before was just thought. Like, so like, in a way, it's just a very non three principles way of doing three principles pointing. Yeah. And there's other times where I mean, three principles, like it, like it doesn't even have a modality, really. No, it's not. But um, there's the perspective that you, they should understand the three principles from three principles coaching. But there's times that like, if I'm doing that and it's like, I'm either I'm not good enough at that or it's just not really meeting them where they're at. So I can like step away from that to see whatever creates more transformation, whatever my measure is actually, does it raise them up the ladder? Hmm. Are they higher up the ladder of consciousness after we work than where we started? Like that's my metric. <laughs> and sometimes like three principles sometimes can shoot people to the top of the ladder or really high up on the ladder. So I do try to look for openings there. Yeah. Yeah. So what else came up that you wanted to yeah, and share? There's one more distinction that I'd like to share that's come from my bouncing between subtle energy healing work and uh, three principles understanding of how the human experience works. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion out there between subtle and spiritual. What do you mean? Um, and like 
the the language translations is what what's helped <laughs> like i needed to make this distinction because like it didn't make sense until i had this in subtle energy work um they refer to it as spiritual work like if you're whether you're healing inner children or whether you're uh, clearing out chakras and moving energy or cutting off entities. Like I actually, I just did a fire cleansing earlier this week where we removed inner, removed entities from someone's back. And then like later on, I was doing a three principles coaching session. It's just like, it's kind of cool that I can do both. Um, I no longer consider subtle i no longer consider any of that to really be spiritual work per se like i've redefined for myself what spiritual means um lots of people define spiritual as religious lots of people define spiritual as um something that they add on top of psychological it's almost like okay taking care of the body taking care of the beliefs and the psychology then on top of that we have like quote unquote spiritual practices I orient, I have more of a three principles orientation towards spirit now where spirit is that constant, like spirit is that center, spirit is unconditional, it is the, the formless intelligence, it's the source, it's in and of everything. So spiritual is not something you do it's not something that it's not something that you get to it's not a state it's really important because i'm really big into like zogchen and non-dual meditations and practices but spirit itself is not a state it is a fact like spirit is truth so that's like this solid ground at the core of all experience. And subtle is the territory of uh, like energetic work, healing work, where yes, there's long distance healing, there's whatever is happening in past life healing there's near-death experiences there's instances where cancer magically heals where trauma magically releases in a moment like all that stuff is within like there's a, a there's a reality to it uh but I don't consider that to be spiritual. That's within the wor world of form. Like it, it's already formed when there's energy, when there's experiences, even like in the, the really subtle magical things that we can barely tell. And we're not sure if we're making it up. We're not sure if it's like how much of it is placebo and how much of it is like subtle energy, whatever that is. But that's within the world of form. So that's actually, um, that's not the same thing as spirit. Like I had to like really separate those because the language overlapped so much. Yeah. Can I throw you a curveball? Sure. Yeah. Spirit and form is the same, is it not? It's a manifestation of the same energy. If spirit is totality and it includes everything, that includes form. Yeah. It's like spirit as a non-dual. So I love the fact that you've got a distinction between them. But my concern, I think, is too strong of a word. But the question, <laughs> the kind of the flag that I pop up is, if you separate the two, you're going to create a duality that doesn't exist that yeah. you know is true because you know that both of them are the same energy so yeah. it's just an invitation to keep that mind of go back to that form and formless are one it's just a manifestation of energy in different ways yeah so i agree 
like spirit as non-dual, spirit as both form and formless. And I want to keep the importance of, of the distinction between spirit and subtle then. So pointing out like subtle is form. Yes. Subtle is not formless. Yeah, I can, I can, I can buy into that. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the, like the, the two reasons that people confuse the two is that they're, they're both things that it's really difficult to perceive. In yeah. fact, it's impossible to perceive yeah. <laughs> the spirit, <laughs> but you can, it seems impossible to perceive subtle. Yeah. I, I and, think that one of the things that I found really helpful in my own journey of identifying this definitions and things was to recognize that And I'll br actually bring in the three principles as part of this this metaphor, this description. A lot of people in the three principles community will speak about the principles as our human experience. Hmm. And if you listen to Sidney, he never says that. He's actually very specific. He says it is experience. It isn't our hmm. human experience. When he says that we are born into thought, and I've never actually heard him say this, but I heard somebody speak about this the other day when we are in spirit form, as long as we have a sense of awareness, we're still going to have thought. Mm -hmm. So our spiritual essence is still form, which is pointing to what you're looking, which is pointing in the direction that you're pointing at. Mm -hmm. Our spiritual essence is a form. Yes, it is made up of the energy of God or intelligence of life or the allness or the oneness, whatever terms you want to use. But as long as we have an identity of our individuality, have it be in spirit form or human form, we're going to have a distinction of awareness, thought, energy of life. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people in the three principles don't recognize because they are so focused on it being a human description. Mm. It is not a human description. It is a description of life. It is a description of experience, not human experience. We just happen to be part of that subset. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. So that's what I think about when you're talking about form and formless and the relationship between all of these ideas of spirituality and how they relate. And I don't know how they relate to your experience in your background because I, I i don't have that language like the idea of subtle isn't a term that i have come across or even use but the idea of recognizing the distinction between form and formless and that we are still form when we are in a formless state it's just a different element of form it's a different structure of energy but it is still a form we are still separate we are still individual we are still a soul as opposed to oneness and what i heard someone say the other day which i actually liked a lot and i mentioned it in in a recent podcast as well was all of the ideas that we talk about and listen to have it be our higher self our guides our counsel um all of these the the people that or the souls that oversee the Akash records, the Akash records themselves, all of these terms that people talk about, they are all energy of life. Going back to that, they are all one. And that's something that's hard for us within our human experience to understand and to accept and to even comprehend that oneness is a totality that you and I are the same. You and I are the same energy. Our spirit guides that help us are the same energy. Our counsel, our, our, our counsel advisories are the same energy. We are all the same energy. It's just a reminder of that oneness. And now I think that part of our, my, again, this is just my idea, but part of our spiritual development is a journey of 
reconnecting with our essence of that oneness through a deeper understanding of ourselves. So mm -hmm. we're, if we think about, you know, I love the idea, it just boggles the mind. <laughs> I, I love the idea of the fact that we are the spark of our higher self. Hmm. As a spark of our higher self, our higher self is a spark of source. Hmm. And how far up that ladder that goes, I have no idea. <laughs> but <laughs> it's both really far and right here. <laughs> right? How far up that ladder that goes, I have no idea. But to even think about the fact that if our individual souls are sparks of source, and I've heard time and time again from different people that there are multiple sources, we happen to be within one source. So we're within the, the sparks of one source. God or the energy of life is beyond that source. That source is another spark of something higher. So every time that we go higher and higher, it's just incredible to even think about. But what's fascinating to me is that we're at the end of that. And I heard in one of the books written by um, Abraham Hicks, there's a reference to that, that we are at the front lines. We're at the forefront of experience, of expansion. We are the end. We don't have little sparks that we've created, <laughs> at least <not laughs> I know of. <laughs> You know, so we are, yeah, I think they're called children. Yeah, exactly. You know, we are literally at the, the edges of exploration and of expansion and of experience. Mm -hmm. That is the gift that we are living within, which is just incredible to even think about and even try and understand. Like, I don't think of it as, like, I have a lot less hierarchy <laughs> in my thinking. <laughs> there's sort of like an end point and there's the all. <laughs> and I love the, like, the ocean metaphor, which most yeah. people use. Like, it just the, the beauty of getting to be a wave, getting to see the ocean getting to see that it's of the ocean, getting to rec recognize itself in another wave, like that namaste experience between two waves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that metaphor as well. And the drop in the ocean, similar idea. Yeah. So I'm recognizing that our, our time is approaching the end. So I'd like to open up the opportunity for you to share anything that you would like, have it be something that we've spoken about or something completely different, but the floor is yours. Yeah. So like one more bit of advice. <laughs> um, don't take metaphors literally. I think so much trouble is caused because we use metaphors to describe spirit. We use metaphors to describe the subtle. We use metaphors to describe ourselves and other people. Uh, it's, which is awesome. We have to do that. Like that's how we organize our experience. That's how we're able to really like simplify enough to operate in the world, but never forget that they're metaphors never forget that it's a finger pointing at something that is dynamic and infinite and indescribable and not really separate even though it also seems separate at the same time so allow there to be wonder even with the most seemingly mundane things and you'll have a, a more honest experience of reality. Yeah. Beautiful. Really lovely, really lovely words. 
So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Michael, what's the best way for them to do so? And of course, I'll have your details in the description of the episode. Best ways are I have a website, uh, which is authenticintegrity.com. And you're free to email me at michael at authenticintegrity.com for questions, conversations, shares, what did you see? What massively triggered you about this conversation? <laughs> what you hated? <laughs> <laughs> what has you? What like? What's the the really? What's the thing that was so confusing that it's painful <laughs> to I think about? Speaking <laughs> <laughs> could have been either of us in this conversation. <laughs> just like that. What? what? Uh, that did you? Did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'd love to like just continue this conversation with uh, individual souls. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael, thank you again for everything that you've shared. As always, a pleasure and an honor to be in your company. I, I look forward to doing this again in the future. Thank you. All it's right. been a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you heard something new that invites you to reflect, to go within and deepen your own understanding of life and of our universal experience. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow the podcast series on your favorite listening app and share this episode with others that you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, May we all soar with inspiration, explore with passion, and live with love.